You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, and now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. We're recording this episode in December of 2020, but when we put it on the air, it will be 2021, so let's just all take a minute to celebrate. Like, woohoo! We, we did it! Hey, it's done! 2020 is <laughs> over. Yeah, we just, you know, small things in life, small accomplishments, we have to celebrate every once in a while. Uh, we are going to take some time this episode to talk a little bit about predictions for 2021 and how predictions have gone wrong in the past. And Corey is here to kind of steer this one because he's been paying attention to this a lot longer than I have. So we're going to get into it really good. Um, it seems like at the start of every year, we get a lot of predictions from a lot of different places, pundits, prognosticators, analysts, economists, all of that, your financial advisor, everything. (laughs) But nobody knows for sure what's going to happen. There might be some things that we can do in anticipation of of broad trends and things like that, but we don't know exactly what's going to happen. I think 2020 was a good example of that. Your life is also not necessarily going to go as planned. So we wanted to take some time today to kind of dive in and talk about the things that are sometimes unpredictable, but also the things that we can control for a little bit. So without further ado, Corey's going to get into predictions for this year. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Which, uh, yes, the the easy prediction is I'm not going to even bother because after 2020, Let's just throw all predictions out the window. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and you've done a little reading on this, Rochelle. I'm sure everyone has. You know, there's a lot of you know continued optimism about this vaccine and how you know quickly it'll be disseminated and how effective it'll be and when we'll be able to get back to normal. Um, you know, I think the biggest question, you know, if we're talking about investing, is what will investor sentiment be? Because it's not like we're going to be out of the woods tomorrow. You know, it might take a few months. It might take the whole year. It might be into 2022 before, you know, we're really able to get back to quote unquote normal or whatever the new normal is. So I think um, you, know, you read an article, Rochelle, that that you know, we're in a deep dark tunnel. How much longer will we be in that deep dark tunnel? And we can see the light, but uh, you know how patient or impatient are people going to get? So I think most of the predictions that we will see here, and, and a lot of you are already seeing, are probably focused around that. The virus, how is everything going to play out, and then it's just going to trickle down from there. But um, beyond that, Rochelle, like, is there anything, you know, that's probably the headline one, two, and three. Anything else that, yeah. that you've seen out there? No, I think it's really interesting because, you know, we're right now while we're recording this, we're trading at like record highs. So the stock market is very forward looking. The stock market is already seeing a vaccine and there's just these big old eyes and everyone's very excited about a vaccine. But there is a lot to go through before we get there. So we'll see how that plays out with investor sentiment, like how people react to how bad it really gets, because I think that's a big question mark right now. Like it's obviously not great. Um, 
but how bad is it going to get? And so we'll see how that affects investors, how that affects the economy, and hopefully we come through on the other side. But in the meantime, you know, there might still be some some up and downs, and we just don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Yeah, I would definitely expect some ups and downs. You know, we're right now when we're recording this, Congress is kind of in a stalemate over this whole stimulus round two or three or whatever we're in um you know that might be passed by the time you actually hear this so i think there'll be some reaction positive or negative about that you know if they need another wave in the spring what'll that look like um just based on the ever-evolving and changing headlines you can expect the stock market to ebb and flow and i think it's important we touched on this a little bit in our episode around the election but the stock market and the economy don't always go hand in hand you know, the stock market is a reflection of the largest publicly traded companies in our country, where the economy, the majority of workers don't work for the largest publicly traded companies. They're in industries that, that might be more drastically affected by this pandemic. And I think that's the big question mark. How much overlap is there between those two? When does Main Street, you know, really start to impact Wall Street? And, uh, you know, how long will will that last for? So uh, I would I would definitely expect some choppiness in the stock market, but you now that's where when when don't we expect choppiness in the stock market? You know, mm-hmm. it, it every single year, every single year go throughout history, the stock market goes down in value. Some years it goes down more than others. I think the average decline, if you're looking at uh, US company stocks, it's about a 15% decline per year. Now, you may be hearing that, then you wait 15% down every year. I thought the stock market more often than not goes up. That's right. Three out of four years on average, stock market ends the year higher than it started. But throughout the year, it's a big roller coaster ride. You know, it goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down, it goes way up, and then comes down 15%, and then goes up again. And what do you know? We're, we finish positive for the year, even though we, we saw some big highs and big lows. So that's where really important, you know, focus on your goals, your time horizon, you know, what what you're investing for and structure a strategy accordingly because, you know, what happens from one week to the next, one quarter to the next, one year to the next, you know, we really don't want to confuse short-term outcomes in the investment world or in the news headlines with our long-term goals. So I think that's something to, to really keep in mind when you start looking at all these predictions that, that you're about to see. And we can take a minute. Um, to one thing just I thought, re- yeah, I, I was thinking we could take a minute to yourself. just reflect on on prior predictions and how well they've gone. <laughs> I think it's really yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, so it is really interesting because our most recent year to reflect back on is 2020, and obviously, <laughs> I mean, that was unpredictable to say the very least. I think you can argue that maybe some epidemiologists are, were saying all along, like uh, at some point there's going to be a pandemic, but no one could have predicted when it would happen. As far as 2020 goes, there's always a, an economic outlook that the International Monetary Fund puts out every year in January. And for 2020, they estimated modest growth in GDP, about maybe 3% in the US, maybe 2% in Europe, and maybe a, a little bit more in like emerging markets and things like that. But you know, that was a fairly, fairly vanilla prediction, a fairly average one. And yet 2020 was the roller coaster that it was. That being said, like we can't judge the, the credibility of predictions based on 2020 because 2020 was a huge outlier. 
So if we want to look at how good predictions normally are, maybe we'd need to look back a little bit farther, like 2019. Um, But again, like 2019 wasn't that great either as far as predictions go. That IMF report that year, again, you know, it estimated some modest GDP growth. And we expected like lots of different things to happen that didn't necessarily happen. I think, I don't know, you want to talk a little bit about the stock market in 2019, Corey? Obviously, it was a great year for the stock market. Yeah, one of the best years on record. Yeah, and the the IMF, International Monetary Fund, um, you know, they're one of the the largest sources out there, I guess. I mean, every major bank institution, you know, research firm in the investment world puts out their predictions, and, and they all usually are somewhat vanilla. We're cautiously optimistic. Modest GDP growth. What are some of the potential headwinds? There's a lot of talk the last, the prior couple of years about trade tensions, you know, trade wars being the big headline. If, if things go poorly, that could be a negative for everyone. If things go well, that could be a positive. I think actual GDP growth in 2019 was a little less than they predicted. You know, some other um, some data points I pulled from that report, uh, the expectation was crude oil was going to remain pretty steady for the next handful of years at just below $60 a barrel. When we're recording this today, it's at about $45 a barrel, so only about 25% off with that prediction. Um, as a side note, not you know that, that you should do anything with this bit of information, but clean energy stocks over the trailing 12 months, measured by the S&P Global Clean Energy Index, are up over 100%. So I think there's definitely, when, when Rochelle, you mentioned the stock market is often forward-looking, you know, people trying to anticipate and expect, you know, what's coming down the pipe, where are things headed. I think a lot of investors, institutions, you name it, are, are expecting more and more, and we've been seeing this for years now, a uh, transition to more clean energy. I mean, we saw California implemented a requirement that I think all cars have to be electric by 2030. Um, other countries and economies, states, you know, are doing similar things. So I would expect that, um, you know, we see more wind and solar and then reduce the oil dependency, coal dependency, but who knows, you know, things could change. You never know. Um, the, uh, one of the, the, the headlines from that 2019 report was, you know, there was deteriorating sentiment about growth prospects in stocks, and people were starting to sell out of stocks, move to bonds, driving bond yields down, so they expected bond yields to maybe continue to decline, which they were correct about. The U.S. 10-year Treasury went from about 2.7% yield at the beginning of 2019 to a 1.7% yield at the end of 2019 or beginning of 2020, so that they did rates did drop. However, the stock market had one of its best years ever. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're expecting you know potential pessimism around the stock market. Emerging market stocks did the worst, and they were up 18 and a half percent, measured by the MSCI Emerging Markets Index. Large cap I U.S. Think- stocks, measured by the S&P 500, were up 31 and a half percent in 2019. So all that pessimism. Seem to work out well for investors. <laughs> and what as much as yourself? these predictions are trying to be forward-looking, like people were talking about this deteriorating sentiment about growth product prospects because of the last quarter of 2018. You know, like the last quarter of 2018 wasn't great, and then they were trying to predict mm-hmm. what happens moving forward, and it was obviously colored 
by what had just happened, even though, they're, you know, they're trying to look forward, but people, people get caught up in what just happened. And that, that influences predictions, it influences behavior. But obviously, in this scenario, like the behavior was that people saw it as a buying opportunity, if anything, and the stock market just went up and up and up in 2019. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. and I think, yeah, every year that, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years, these reports, um, you know, we get estimates from all the major financial institutions and, and they're all pretty similar. There's cautious optimism. Um, you know, we expect U.S. stocks to rise maybe five to 7%, but there's, here's some risks expect some volatility, but, you know, the economy's looking strong, we should see, still see some growth, yada, yada, yada. You know, modest, mid-to-high, single-digit, you know, just call it mid-single-digit returns. If you, if we go back historically, though, let's look at the S&P 500, um, you know, that's probably the, the most commonly referenced measure of the U.S. stock market. It's, you know, only the 500 largest U.S. companies, but, um, but you know they make up about seventy percent of our stock market in terms of value, and uh, you know over the last twenty years the S and P five hundred has averaged well I guess historically it's averaged about ten percent a year. Um, rarely does the S and P five hundred ever land in the neighborhood of ten percent. You know if we look plus or minus two percent, call it so. Does it ever land between eight and twelve percent? Well, let's look. Last twenty years, twenty nineteen, we're up thirty one percent. Twenty eighteen, down four percent. Twenty seventeen, up twenty two percent. Twenty sixteen, up twelve percent. There we go. That was within two percentage points. Twenty fifteen, up one percent. Twenty fourteen, up fourteen percent. Twenty thirteen, up thirty two percent. Twenty twelve, up sixteen percent. Twenty eleven, plus two percent. <laughs> 2010 plus 15 percent. 08 respectively. So we had three years of negatives in the S&P. So, you know, bottom line, it's a roller coaster ride, but rarely does it ever land in that quote-unquote average. So if, if you're ever looking at an expected or an average return, just know the average is the sum of all the, the, the years added up divided by the number of years. That gets you the average, but you're going to have data points all over the chart. Um, so don't be surprised if your actual returns that you realize are nowhere near the quote-unquote <laughs> average that we've seen historically. Yeah, there were two of those 20 years that were within that like 8 to 12 percent range that you mentioned, so not not many. And who knows moving forward? I, I really don't want you to take, I'd be very disappointed if your takeaway from that was, ooh, we can expect stocks to rise 8 to 12 percent a year. That's not not at all the point. That's historically moving forward things could be totally different. I mean, you know, we could see very, uh, very modest or even negative growth. Who knows? Um, no one knows what's going to happen in the future. These are just some data points from, from the past. Past performance is no predictor of future results. The whole point is just to illustrate, here's what the average has been. Rarely do we ever get a year that is average. So, now that's not to say that forecasting doesn't have a purpose. You know, I think there is some value to trying to be anticipatory and look at 
opportunities and potential threats and position yourself to to benefit or avoid you know benefit from opportunities avoid risks um you know we never want to bet the farm on any predictions that we see but you could make some strategic adjustments like one thing that that it is encouraged strongly for all investors is to have an investment policy statement or an investor policy statement. Either you design it yourself, if you're doing it yourself, or your financial advisor is following one to manage your investment accounts for you. But basically it just says, it's a rough outline of here's how my accounts are going to be invested. You know, for example, maybe you know you want to allocate between five and 10% of your portfolio to emerging market stocks. And that's your bandwidth, if you will, or, or, or range that you want to stay within. Well, depending on forecasts, outlooks, you know, what's happened recently, current valuations, you know, if emerging market stocks appear to be attractively priced, maybe we tilt our portfolio closer to that 10% mark, the upper tolerance of what we're comfortable with based on our, our strategy. If emerging market stocks look overvalued, maybe we skew it down to that 5% threshold. So you can make some minor adjustments within the realm of your predetermined strategy um, you know, this this current year is a great example. Growth and value stocks. You know, it's been like a super wide disparity. There's been about a 30% discrepancy between performance of growth stocks and performance of value stocks, which is insane. Um, so that you could potentially make an argument. Let's rebalance, get things back to even, and maybe even tilt a little to the value side moving forward. No guarantees that value will outperform growth in the next year or coming years, but it's it's just a, a, a potential strategic play that within the realm of, of your 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 overall strategy you could implement to to try and take advantage of potential opportunities. You know, sell growth stocks high, buy value stocks low. Kind of the, the argument there. Um, but but we really want to be careful with with making drastic moves or taking drastic measures to try and time the market, right, mm-hmm. Rochelle? Yeah, I mean, we also want to be careful when we're trying to time the market by like timing our contributions or our investments themselves, and when we're putting money into the market. Like to a certain extent, it makes sense. Like we want to spread out our contributions and not do them all at once. Like that that absolutely makes sense because we don't want we want to try to avoid like timing everything and and getting everything on on a high day. Um, but I think you can get caught in a trap. Like this year, things bounded back pretty quickly. And I think there are probably a lot of people that expected another downturn and, and said to themselves, well, maybe I'll just hold on to my Roth IRA contribution and make it towards the end of the year because maybe stocks will come back a little bit. And they haven't. <laughs> or not not yet anyway. So maybe it could still happen. But I do think that there there can be missed opportunities if we're like waiting for something to happen. Um and, and sometimes it makes sense, like if you're already on track to meet all your goals and you're already investing, but you have a little bit of money on the sidelines just because you don't need to have it invested for long-term purposes. And like that kind of money is on the sidelines for the, when there's an opportunity to buy like there was in March of this year. Like that can be a good idea. But we have to limit like how much we're doing that. And I think ideally, if you're making ongoing contributions to things like a Roth IRA, if you're doing that each and every year, the best strategy is probably just to do it earlier rather than later. Because the longer your money has to be in the stock market, the better chance you have of it gaining more growth. And and time is probably your best your best friend in that situation. So if anything, instead of trying to time it, maybe just aim for the earlier end of the year. 
Anything to add there, Corey? Yeah, the nice thing about IRAs, 401ks, et cetera, is there's a hard deadline. So, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you're one of those individuals who's like, oh, I'm going to hold off on contributing, hoping that the market will go down so I can buy lower, well, you know, you got to get your investment in before the deadline. Otherwise, uh, you can't do it for the year. So that it's nice that they have that. But, like, there's other folks I've talked to who, you know, they've, they've held off on investing in their other accounts, you know, that don't have deadlines, just waiting for another market dip, another buying opportunity. And every week, month that goes by where the market rises, they keep kicking themselves that they've missed out on potential growth. I mean, like I said, I've been doing this since 2009. Perfect timing. Market was in the pits. Economy sucked. No one was hiring. Um, you know, but, but stock market's been going up ever since. And every single year, there's negative headlines, negative outlooks in, from certain um you know, prognosticators, and and I come across people probably at least once a month, you know, who are saying stock market's overvalued. I'm waiting for a correction before I want to invest. You know, okay, stock market's been overvalued since 2009, yet it's it keeps rising and rising and rising. You know, right now we're at like six or seven times, or like six times what it was valued at at the at the lows of March of 2009. Um, you know, even back in in March of 2020, when the stock market came down, it, it it fell to a low that was, you know, what it was at just a few years ago. Um, mm-hmm. So it didn't it, it it corrected, but for people who were just sitting on the sidelines since 2010, you know, it didn't even come back anywhere near to where they could have bought in back in 2010. So I'd be really careful with trying to predict and anticipate to that extent, like literally putting your financial strategy on pause to try and capitalize on an event that you anticipate that you expect or hope will happen. Cause what if it doesn't happen? Then what? So that's where having a backup money on plan. The sideline forever. Right. And yeah. maybe have an end date in mind. Like if you really want to hold on to some money, it's like, well, if it doesn't happen by this date, I'm, I'm getting it in the market and, and maybe, Maybe you get unlucky and it happens the next month, but you're still going to gain, likely, not guaranteed, but like you should still be in a position <laughs> to have gains by the time that you need that money, if it's long term. Yeah, that's where we sound like a broken record, but yes. develop a strategy and have a plan in place. You know, okay, if we do want to try and time the market a little bit, you know, here's how it's going to happen. We're going to, you know, if the market drops by 10% we buy in this amount. But if it doesn't, you know, we buy in by this date or if it rises by 10%, we buy in regardless. Like whatever the case is, you know, have a game plan in place so that you're you're not just flying by the seat of your pants hoping for the best cuz if that's the case then then things probably won't work out as well as they otherwise could have. And and yeah, growth isn't guaranteed, but if you look at the history of the stock market, you know, we shouldn't one be investing in the stock market if we need the money soon. Um, you know, but assuming we we don't need it anytime soon, hopefully it can grow over time over a long period of time. And uh, you know, if it doesn't, if the stock market's not higher 20 or 30 years from now compared to where it's at today, we, we probably have bigger things to worry about in our world. So, um, you think you, you just kind of develop a strategy, stick with it and, and let it take care of itself. The rest is out of your control. Yeah. And I think we do sometimes get overly fixated on these huge like macroeconomic things that are really outside of our control. 
And a lot of times, I mean, you just have to bring it back a little bit and bring it back to the things that you can control. Try to be prepared for the unexpected because just like like broad predictions of global markets can be unpredictable and wrong, like your predictions of how your life is going to go can be incorrect also. Like maybe we need to make sure that we have some things in place to adapt within our personal life, just like we need to be able to adapt with our investments. Um. That, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like really refocus on how does this impact me? You know, sure, we're reading headlines about geopolitics, the stock market, you know, the economy, elections. the president. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the election's a great one. Everyone freaks out about who the president's going to be. But, you know, ask yourself, how does the individual in the White House impact your life directly? Some of you may have a good answer for that, you know, a, a legitimately good answer for how that individual impacts your life, for better or worse. But the majority of you probably can't give me a good answer as to how the president impacts your life uh, one way or the other. You know, sure, it might, you know, change the sentiment about things. I've got a uh, someone trying to break into my office right now. <laughs> Bear with me. Work from home life. Before that interruption, sorry, we uh, working from home. It's uh, we occasionally get intruders in our offices in the form of small um, humans. <laughs> yeah, they don't quite understand that work means I need quiet. So, um, anyways, so yeah, you know, another like things can go well or poorly for you. You know, I've had scenarios where people, you know, take a job. Then, you know, get promoted, get a pay raise, things work out well. There's also been pay cuts, you know, inheritances, health issues. Um, you know, I've seen ones where, where, where a doctor moves to a new job, buys their big fancy doctor house, and then the job doesn't work out, and they need to move and try and sell the house, and they have to sell it at a loss because they can't find a buyer who will pay what they paid for it, and, you know, on top of the real estate agent commission. Um, I've got, you know, one a buddy who, who works at a... Uh, a tech company um, who recently IPO'd, and you know their final round of funding. The the company was the stock was valued at about forty dollars a share. You know this is pre-IPO, and then there were some rumors that you know everyone was super excited that they were planning to IPO in the seventy dollar a share range, which is awesome. You know almost double what their previous valuation was just a couple months before, and. Yeah, uh, towards the end of 2020, the, the stock was trading at 300 a share. You know, so we had expectations of, all right, we might, you know, with the shares that we have, the options that we have, they might be worth somewhere in the mid six figures. Lo and behold, now they're worth, you know, four or five million. You know, so that like things can work out in your favor. They could also, you know, work out to your detriment. Um, you know, so and I think those those microeconomic, more specifically to you individually as a, as an individual. You know what? What can what's going on in your world that will impact your finances for better or worse? And and how do we create a strategy to protect against you know negative events from hurting us too poorly? And how do we position ourselves to potentially benefit from positive events helping us? Because I can promise you, things will not go as planned or expected. You know, there's going to be surprises. There's going to be changes, career changes, job, you know, 
like Rochelle, like you, I mean, you're a perfect example there mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, what were 15 years ago, <laughs> what, what were your, you were in college, what were your future plans looking like? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I was a political science major. I interned at a senator's office. I thought I would go to law school and it turns out I hate politics. I worked at a law firm for a while just to kind of check it out, and I got into law school, and then it came to that point where it was like, hey, time to put down a deposit for law school, and I basically had a panic attack (laughs) and realized I didn't want to be a lawyer or a politician, so why would I go to law school? And at that point, I definitely wish I had had a plan B, because it it took me a a while to figure it out. Like, I I worked, and I I did okay, but I didn't have, like, a, a career plan B. Like something that I really enjoyed and wanted to do. But I mean, I think most people figure things out eventually. But if I had already had a plan B in place, like that would have saved me a lot of time <laughs> and like a little <laughs> mental agony, maybe. But I think well, there's a lot of things that can happen that are unpredictable. Maybe I should have been able to predict that one. But <laughs> well, you found your plan B eventually, and eventually. it seems to have yeah. worked out quite well. <laughs> yep, definitely. <laughs> So I, I have another <laughs> another client um, who was having trouble getting pregnant, and then lo and behold, they were blessed with triplets. So naturally, <laughs> like things that change, things happen. Yeah, yeah, but definitely but unpredictable. Think, yeah, really. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, world is unpredictable. Um, you know, get you know, recentering that focus. Get back to your goals, your concerns. What's important for you? What you know, how can we go about accomplishing those? How do we set ourselves up for success? You know, the things we've talked about before, making sure we have an adequate emergency reserve, making sure we have proper insurances in place, you know, the usual home auto umbrella, but make sure you have enough life insurance or disability insurance in case things don't go as planned or expected. Like I was Mm -hmm. talking with someone uh, just this week as a recording and, and she's in, in the process of going on disability claim. Just, you mm-hmm. know, she can't operate anymore due to, a uh, uh, an illness, um, and which is unfortunate, but, you know, thankfully she has a solid disability policy, so she's going to be okay financially speaking. And she's not, you know, it, it's not a going to really impact her day-to-day living so she potentially could go do something else you know that interests her and and still occupy her time and eliminate boredom rather than just sitting at home watching soap operas all day um living below your means yeah Yeah, there are absolutely things that you can do to prepare for the unexpected in your financial life like you might not be able to protect yourself against everything that happens but you know, having buffers, having insurances, living below your means, being able to adapt to changes in cash flow, like all of that kind of stuff is somewhat within your control. And and we want our clients, we want people to be able to kind of meet their goals and do what they want to do with their life, even if things happen that are unpredictable. So there's a lot of things that are very boring about financial planning, I feel like, like emergency reserves and insurance and stuff like that. Like that's the boring part, but it is just as important as investment predictions and the S&P 500 and all of this other maybe more exciting stuff that we could talk about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the more you can try and, I guess, predict what's going to happen in your personal life and, and how you can prepare for that for better or worse. Um, or at least set yourselves up because you're not going to be able to predict everything. 
You know, if yeah. you can, if you know what's going to happen, it's easy to plan for. But plan for the unexpected. You know, give yourself that buffer. You know, the living below your means, just saving for the sake of saving. So you have extra mm-hmm. money. You know, in case things don't go perfectly, make it so things don't have to go perfectly for you to achieve your goals. Because they won't go. Don't perfectly. usually go perfectly, right? <laughs> No, I think today is a perfect example. You can hear some some noise <laughs> in the background of a screaming child um, who 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 just doesn't want me to have a clean podcast re- recording. So maybe in the next house I'll have a soundproof studio for Ooh, for this upgrade. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there we go. But yeah, make it so things don't have to go perfectly to achieve your goals, and just. Embrace the unknown, embrace the uncertainty. I know it can drive some people crazy just not knowing what's going to happen next, but get over it. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it, there's no way around it. You're, you're just going to have to accept that it's impossible to know what's going to happen in the future. Meditate, do yoga, whatever you need to do to, to calm your anxiety or fears because it's just you got to accept that, uh, that things are going to be uncertain and unpredictable. Focus on those boring things. Have a little insulation around your life and your finances. Anything else? I don't know. That's it, I think. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Happy New Year. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance, or on Instagram, Vanderzanen Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanen. Check out all of the podcast episodes on slash podcast, on our Affinity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at theaffinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors. Bye.